0: Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, as we continue on in our study. We're at verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. The scriptures read, And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your con- your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of if it be the will of God that ye suffer for well doing than for evil doing. May God bless the reading of his word. In our text This afternoon, the question that is answered for us in this text is, how should Christians respond to persecution? How should Christians respond to opposition and persecution? And I think it's obvious that this text is very fitting, considering the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And it fits that question, fits very well within the whole subject or purpose of the letter in which um, Peter is writing to these believers in Asia Minor, as they were in a situation in the Roman Empire, with Nero as um, the supreme leader, which was, in many ways, a suppressive empire, um, very much controlling and dominating and that um, was opposed to the worldview, I guess you could say, that the believers would have had in Asia Minor at this time. And the text that we read here in First Peter, specifically in verse 14, describes this persecution. It says, If ye suffer for righteousness' sake. It's talking about persecution. Persecution for following the word of God, for obeying the teachings of Christ, for standing up for the truth, and for living according to your biblical convictions and suffering or being persecuted as a result of that. And, you know, as I consider for myself my perception or the ideas that I've had in my mind of what persecution is, I've... There's two things that, that, that come to mind as I, as I consider that. First of all, I have always considered that, or always assumed or realized that I have never really experienced persecution. I think that's the first thing I've realized is that I, all through my life, I've realized that persecution was something that was real, that happened very much so to the first church, happened very much so to believers throughout the Christian church, Christian history, and is a reality for many believers in world, in the world today. Especially in communist countries, we think of China and some of the oppressiveness that the underground church experiences there. Other countries where there is clear opposition and persecution that happens to the church. But I've always realized that it's something that I have never truly experienced before. And the second thing I've always, or I've realized is that it's something that I have always though I realize that I've never experienced it, it's something that was in the distance and it was sort of in the future and that it was coming. And that I should always be ready because one day persecution is going to come. One day the government is going to outlaw Christianity. Christians are going to be hated. The Bible is going to become illegal. The government is going to shut down all the churches and Christians are going to be thrown in jail. That was my perception of what persecution was. And in that moment, I would need to be faithful to God for the convictions um, that I have as a believer. But the events of the last nine months have caused me to consider or reconsider two things. Number one, what my definition of persecution is. And number two, how close, how close I am to that persecution. And I've said it before, and and I'll say it again, that I believe we are entering a time when to be a faithful Christian is going to cost something. When being a faithful Christian, it is going to cost cost something when following the word of God, when obeying the teachings of Christ, when standing up for the truth and living according to biblical conviction is going to cost something. And brothers and sisters, we need to be prepared for that time. And we need to know biblically how to respond to that. And I thank God for this text of scripture because it answers that question of how do we respond to persecution and though some may not agree with me, and i 've struggled with this question even myself as we 've kind of tried to unpack in our minds just the events and of, of what has happened over the last nine months and how it has radically changed things, and I understand that there are different perspectives that people have, but I believe that we are experiencing, that what we are experiencing right now is the beginnings of that persecution, and that Satan is using the antichrist governments of this world to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And I understand that that's a bold statement, but I believe it to be true. And we need to see this for what it is, and we need to be on guard, and we need to know how to respond when this comes and the fact that the church the fact that the church is not the only institution as it were as, as you could say that is that is under attack right now does not negate the fact that what we are experiencing is a form of persecution, perhaps not the Mindset that we have had, like I mentioned, my perceived notion of what persecution was, and I had sort of had a very narrow view that for me has been broadened now. But just because, just because the church is not the only institution that is under attack does not negate the fact that what we are experiencing is persecution. And the logic that this can't be persecution because it's not just the church that is being attacked is a false logic it does it doesn't fit just because um you know churches are not the only thing being shut down you know schools are being shut down businesses are being shut down restaurants bars movie theaters you name it all of these institutions does not change the fact that this is not persecution and when i when we consider that satan in many ways is the ruler of this world he has dominance over the systems of this world and when we understand it from that perspective and that, that, that he has control, he has major influence in many of these institutions, it, it's no, it should not be a wonder to us that he is willing to shut down bars or movie theaters or other things if he can shut down the church. It's like, think of it from this perspective, it, it's like playing a chess game, you know, willing to sacrifice your pawn to get the queen. And persecution does not need to be against one group in order for it to be persecution. And I think we can see that even from the examples of persecution, suppressive you know, persecution and opposition that has come in the past. Look at the rise of the Nazi Empire. You know, Hitler was not just attacking the Jews as the only ones that he was persecuting in the Holocaust. There were many groups that he attacked, and anything that didn't fit into his sort of Third Reich ideology um, was persecuted. Um, Jews, the Chinese people, um, people of color, homosexuals, Catholics. He persecuted many, many groups. And that doesn't minimize the fact that the Jews were being persecuted because it was more than one group. There was, it was, it was much more widespread. And really the definition of persecution is the cruel and unfair treatment of a person or a group of people. And much of what we are seeing today in the world is all being done. What what makes this so deceptive is that it is all being done in the name of well-being and for our good, as it were. When the government says that you should not go to work to make a living for yourself, to provide for yourself, and that, you know what, just stay home and the government will give you enough to feed you, Or when the government says that you cannot gather together as friends, as family, as neighbors, and they define for us that loving our neighbor is staying as far away from them as possible. When they say that going to church and worshiping God, having fellowship together, taking the Lord's Supper together is something that we cannot do. In essence, this is, in some form, a, a sense of widespread persecution. And it's hard for us to sort of wrap our minds around that. I, I, I understand because I've struggled with this concept, really thinking, is, is this really what we are experiencing? Is this the beginnings of that? And really, the government, in many ways, as we see the, the reaches of their authority during this time, in many ways, the government is playing God and overstepping their sphere of authority, their control, and their treatment is all, you know, being done um, in the name of our well-being, as I mentioned, and, and for the preservation of our lives. And very little consideration is being given to the damage that this is causing within our society, within families, within marriages, between relationships, and we've all experienced this, within society, within our livelihoods, our businesses, within the church, and all of the impacts that this is having. It is nearly incalculable. And again, it is all being done in the name of our well-being and in the, pers- and in the preserving of our life. And I'm not here to argue about the details of the seriousness of this virus. I think all of us have a lot of different opinions on that. But the reality is that that is not the, um, I guess you could say, the the thing that we should be most concerned about. And when it is being portrayed to us that the preservation of our lives— and keeping us safe is that main thing that is that is, is being pitched as to why everything is happening. We need to be leery. I want, and I want to read a quote to you from C.S. Lewis. Many of you are familiar with that author. He wrote this nearly 60 or over 60 years ago. And I found this fascinating. This is what he says. Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive... It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep, and his cupidity may at some point be satisfied. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. Those words are staggering when we consider that, in the light of what's going on right now. And I'm not here to say that um, the government—that there is necessarily a widespread conspiracy going on, and that everyone within the government is somehow colluding together to, um, you know, take over society and to um, control and to do everything that they're doing. I don't believe that um, many of the leaders even fully realize or understand what is taking place in the world right now. Again, we know that there are spiritual forces at work in the world. The scripture is clear about that, that Satan has his influence and he, he uses the systems of the world to his advantage. And he has used the systems of the world to his advantage to persecute the church throughout many points in time within history. And we see how many are being, in essence, swept away in this sort of antichrist movement where the state takes on the role of God. And many are doing and many are falling into this in ignorance. I would I would admit that. And even the Apostle Paul um, makes reference to his own ignorance, because we remember through scripture, he was one who at one point persecuted the church. And he highlights in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says when he was doing that, he acted in ignorance. He actually believed that he was doing God's will. He was doing something good. So we see that just because someone is acting in ignorance does not negate the fact that it can still is or can be persecution. And like I said, I don't know everything that's going on around the world. Um, I don't know what is at play, and I don't think any of us really know. We have some speculations, but we don't know. But the simple reality is, and the truth that we we do know, is that the government is overstepping its authority, and in many ways, taking on that role, or acting like God, and that in and of itself is antichrist. When we see that the government believes that they can have control over disease and sickness, that they can have control over the weather and all of the, the climate change agendas that are going on, that they can take control over morality and start defining what is truth and what is right and what is wrong, and they take that upon themselves, that is a ultimately a rejection of God and his law, and that is Antichrist in the essence of what it truly is. And we are experiencing that, I believe, right now. And much of society, and unfortunately many churches, seem to be swept away um, by fear in everything that is happening around us. So the question is, and the question that we have to deal with in our text today is, how do we respond to this as believers? You know, whatever stage this is at, and, you know, some again, some have different perspectives of the point that we are at right now. But wherever that might be, the question is, How do we respond to that? Because that's what these believers were going through at this time. And how do we respond to that? And Peter so beautifully brings us clarity from the Word of God in how we can respond to this biblically. And he gives us five things, five things that I can see from this text of how we respond to opposition and persecution when it comes. And they are this. We respond with joy. We respond with courage. We respond with devotion, we respond with readiness, and we respond with a clear conscience. From the text, these five things that we see. And I pray that as we go through these together, that um, we would be able to apply these to ourselves, and that from them we would find encouragement, we would find strength to persevere in this time, um, and that the word of God would, would truly be, as it says, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path in the darkness of this world. And that we would all consider the biblical mandate of, how, of what the scripture calls us to respond to this time that we live in. So number one, respond with joy. Let's look here at verse 14 where it says, But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye happy are ye. In other words, blessed. Another translation used the word blessed. You are blessed. And as we consider this time that we are entering in, brothers and sisters, we need to remember that we are blessed by God. God's blessing resides over his faithful children. His blessing resides over those who are faithful in times of suffering. The previous verse, in verse 13, it says, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers or zealous of that which is good? And it's a rhetorical question. He doesn't answer it, but the the answer is there. The answer is no one. You know, who's going to harm you? No one can harm you. Yes, they can do many things. They can fine us. They can shut us down. They can throw us in jail. They could even kill us. But they can do nothing, ultimately, to us. They cannot harm you, as it says. He says, who is it that can harm you if you be followers or zealous of that which is good? The blessing that we have in Christ is waiting for those who faithfully endure. And it is secure for those who faithfully endure persecution. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man that endureth persecution for or that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We have a security, brothers and sisters, in the blessing that we have. And as a result of that, we can respond with joy. And we must respond with joy in the times that we are living right now. Our inheritance is not in this earth. Our hope is not in the things of this earth. Our hope is in heaven. Back in chapter 1, verse For, Peter says, that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away and that is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. The blessing that we have is secure. It is secured for us and we have nothing to be fearful of. In fact, we only have reason to be joyful in this. And, and persecution actually, in many ways, increases that blessing. It, it brings about more of that. Jesus, in Matthew chapter five, in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they, the prophets which were before you. We have a long heritage, a long, beautiful blessing throughout the scriptures, throughout history of God's faithful who were persecuted up until the time of Christ, into the first church, throughout Christian history. And we would do well to see how they responded through these times that they went through. And as we consider this prospect I guess my, my encouragement would be that we would fight for joy during this time. That you would fight for joy during this time. And remember that we are blessed. And thank God for what he is doing in us through this time. We can thank God for that. That God is strengthening us. That he is pruning and refining our church through this. That he is teaching us to trust in him. That he is testing our convictions. And that God is reminding us to loosen our grip on the things of this world, and to find deep-rooted joy in the things that truly matter, the eternal blessing, the salvation that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. We have so many blessings in Christ. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. It worketh endurance in us. There is a a purpose. God is doing something through this time in our lives. James 1 says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's doing something in us. And the first church recognizes, and they took joy in that fact when it came in. In Acts chapter 5, when, when, when Peter and some of the other disciples were brought before the council and, and they were, they were being reprimanded by the, the religious leaders of their day for speaking of Christ, it says, that, and, they, and they responded, they said, we ought to obey God rather than man, and they were, they were beaten as a result of that. It says in verse 41, and they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored for his name. So how do we respond? First and foremost, we respond with joy. Second, we respond with courage. Let's continue on in verse 14. It says, But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Don't be afraid of their terror. Don't fear. Don't be caught up in fear. Um, Don't be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be discouraged. But rather, respond with courage. Courage. Not fearing men and what they can do, but rather having an appropriate fear, which is a fear of God. And I think of the verse in, in Matthew chapter 10 where it says the, says, "Fear not them which kill the body, but are able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And how do we respond with courage? How can we respond with courage? Number one, as it says here, we need to fear the Lord. We cannot have fear of men, but rather we must have a fear of the Lord. And that comes from knowing him, understanding him, trusting him, seeing him, and having faith in him. And secondly, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Just like the first church needed the Holy Spirit, and we see the contrast that took place. And take, for example, the disciples. Even though, take Peter, for example a man who, just his personality was a very bold personality. Look at the contrast before he received the Holy Spirit and after he received the Holy Spirit. Before, how did he respond when persecution came, when they were in the garden and Jesus was being taken away? He responded in fear. He he denied Jesus. He turned away. His courage, his, his boldness that he had in his personality wasn't enough to bring him through that time. But after they received the Holy Spirit, after the day of Pentecost and the Spirit was given unto them, we see an incredible boldness in the life of Peter and in the life of the first church where they were willing to stand up and nearly all of them, most of them, many of them gave their lives and died for the sake of Christ. Yet, we see this, this incredible contrast that they had that came as a result of the Holy Spirit Boldness, fearlessness, and courage. And we need that now, brothers and sisters. I think we need that now more than ever before. We need courage. We need courageous leaders um, who will not respond in fear, but will respond with courage within our churches um, to make biblical decisions, to make decisions that are based on conviction and that are followed through on conviction, no matter what the cost. We need parents who will have courage families that will have courage fathers to lead and protect their families mothers who will teach and correct their children and have that courage that is needed to stand for truth as the darkness advances just like that first church did and to consider really what lays before us and and we don't know what's coming um will this you know get worse for a time and then get better maybe Will it get worse and worse and worse and then get better? I don't know. I, I don't know. But we need to be resolved to have courage despite what is before us. And to be willing to act on those convictions. As Peter says, be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And, and this isn't a boastful thing, right? This isn't a like, oh, we're not scared. You know, that nobody can push us around. No, that's not the attitude that we have in this but rather a, a settled confidence, trusting in the Lord that he will provide if we are faithful to him, and that we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? So how do we respond? First, with joy. Second, with courage. Third, with devotion. With devotion. Let's continue on. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does this mean? What does it mean to sanctify? To sanctify is to to set apart, to consecrate. So when it says to sanctify the Lord God, who is the Lord? The Lord is Christ. Christ is Lord. So we sanctify, we set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. But speaking of devotion, 100% devotion, to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he reigns supreme, that his word reigns supreme, and his desires, his heart is our heart, and that nothing takes precedence over his rule and his reign in our lives. And this is so ne- necessary because we see clearly taught within scripture that we, we, we cannot serve two masters, right? Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. There's no, there's no middle ground. You are either it's not having one, one foot in or one foot out. It's, it's full, 100% devotion to Jesus Christ. You are either with Christ or you are against Christ. And there is, there is a, a sense of division that happens in that. And of course, as believers, we, we don't like division. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to um, you know, seek after unity. And that is a good thing. But it's never at the cost of truth. Okay? Okay. It's never at the cost of truth. And, and I do see, and as I look at the broad landscape of Christianity, I see that there is a divide. There is a divide that is, is happening and that will happen. That has been prophesied to happen that those who are faithful will be separated. And, 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 and that's just a natural thing that happens when things are being purified. You know, when when the when the gold is put into the fire, it, it 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 takes off the dross. It takes off that 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 those impurities, and there is sort of this dividing that takes place. And if we are not in Christ, when trouble comes, when persecution comes, we will not be able to stand. It will be like building our house upon the sand, and it will fall. So the question is, where is our allegiance? Where? is your allegiance. Are you 100% devoted? Are we 100% devoted to the Lordship of Christ? And anything other than that, we are on shaky ground and we will not stand. We must, as it says here, sanctify, set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, worshiping, trusting, obeying him and him alone. We cannot be double-minded. We cannot be double-minded. We need to act on conviction not just belief but conviction you know a belief is something that we that we hold but a conviction is something that holds us there's a difference there and and when it, when our beliefs are tested that's when they are proved whether they are true convictions or not we need to have full devotion to Jesus Christ let's go on number 4 first joy how do we respond with joy second with courage third with devotion fourth with readiness with readiness it says and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear so how do we respond with readiness to be ready to be prepared To have an answer, as it says, for every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you, that is in us. You know, when when I think of readiness, I think of it's it's a preparedness. It's almost like someone who is in they're ready for action, right? They're 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 on they're in a position, and oftentimes it's it's somewhat of a defensive position because you're sort of ready. It's like a it's like a maybe a goalie in a hockey game, right? He's ready for what's coming to him, and he's prepared for whatever might be coming. And in that same sense, we are supposed to have that that readiness, that posture, and that stance of of thinking ahead, of anticipating, of being preparing ourselves, preparing for action, and being ready to give, as it says, a defense to every man that asks a reason of the hope that is in us. And I think there's something interesting about that word asks. Um, You know, we talked about, you know, Christ, sanctifying Christ in our hearts and that we are to have that, that visible devotion and that life of conviction. But, you know, when it says here that, you know, the fact that, the fact that someone asks of the hope that is in you implies that two things. First of all, one, it implies that some will notice, right? So we can have confidence that there will be those who will notice and there will be those who will ask. And secondly, it also implies that they can see something that is different. They recognize that there's something different, and it it, it makes them ask. If they knew, they wouldn't ask. And, you know, as we consider what it means to be a Christian, to be a salty Christian here in this earth, our actions, the way that we respond, the way that we act, should bring people to a point where they ask. They are asking us. And then we need to be in that moment ready. And the question for us, the burning question for us is, will our lives reflect or show a sense or be... Will our lives be salty in a way that it that it has people ask, right? Because if we're just going along with the flow, if we just blend in and if we just sort of go along with everything and there's nothing different there, what would what would challenge or what would prompt someone to ask... As a church, we need to be prepared, we need to be ready to give an answer as a defense of the hope that is in us and the reason of the hope that we have and how that hope is, is lived out in our lives, that it's different. When people, when people respond in fear and they see that we don't respond in fear, that, that makes them wonder why. Why? You know, what is it? What, what is the difference? There's something different that, that causes them to ask. And then the scripture gives us the way in which we do that with meekness and fear. It says with gentleness and with respect. And this is hard because this really requires a lot of discernment. And I think many of us are struggling with how to respond to this. Um, how to give a response. But the scripture is clear. It says to give a response with gentleness, with respect, with meekness, with fear. And where is that balance of how we respond in that way, yet being ready to give that defense, that answer, that reason? We respond with joy, with courage, with devotion, with readiness. And finally, as we wrap this up, with a clear conscience. Verse 16. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. As followers of Christ, we are called to suffer for doing good, not evil. We are called to suffer for doing good, not evil. And if the world has a right understanding of what is good, they will see that. They will recognize that. But as we see society's understanding of what is good, and we know that this will come at the end times, that's why there will be a great deception in the world when men will call light darkness and darkness light. And there is this sort of unraveling of what is truth, what is good, what is right, and morality is being turned around and everything is being flipped upside down. Our good conversation in Christ, as this verse says, will come in conflict with the world's definition of what is good. And that is why it says that here, it says, they will speak evil of you as of evildoers. Right? That's what the text says. It says they will speak evil of you as of evildoers. And we need to be prepared for this fact that if the world's definition of good is actually evil, then they are going to hate us. Christ didn't shy away from that truth that the world is going to hate you. He said to his disciples, they will hate you. They will hate you. And we see this front coming up in so many places in our world today as the world is redefining what is good and what is evil. And that is coming in conflict. And we need to be on guard that we are not in a position as the church, as the sort of seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly church, that we compromise to the truth, just for the sake of pleasing the world. And this is a broad subject, right? How to navigate through that is a a difficult subject, and we obviously don't have time to fully go through that. But going along with the system of the world, simply for the sake of witness, and that is our primary banner that we are, are, are flying. Yes, we are to be a witness to the world. But the question is, our witness does not come before the truth. Our witness is actually is the truth. That's the key. Our witness is the truth. It doesn't come before the truth. And we need to remember first and foremost that we must have a good conscience before God. He is the one that our allegiance, that our devotion is to. It is to Christ and to his law. And as the days become darker and more evil, that we are coming to a breaking point. I believe that we are coming to a breaking point. And if the world thinks that what we are doing is wrong we cannot adjust to that you know if the world says and we we go back to the systems of the world right you know the, the 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 movements that we see happening whether it be in the the lgbt movement and everything that goes along with that and the world's response of of how you know how to how we as a church respond to that and the the the, the impression that that gives to them or even the other movements social movements that we see the 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 changing of morality In this country and in this world, we cannot adjust to that. And unfortunately, we see many, many churches caving into that today. Yet we are called to be faithful, to be obedient, that our allegiance, that our our clear conscience is before God and God first. And though they may speak evil of us as of evildoers, though they may falsely accuse us, as this scripture says, if we stand firm in the truth and do what is right with a clear conscience, then one day, whether in this earth, some may see, some may see, or some may only see on judgment day, but it will, their false accusations will be ultimately to their shame as they behold our good conversation, our clear conscience before God. So how do we respond? We respond with joy, with courage, with devotion, with readiness, and with a clear conscience. With a clear conscience. And I pray that as we consider the word of God, that it would, as I said before, be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. That as the darkness of this world grows, that we would look to the word of God and respond appropriately, as he has called us to in his word And that we would not take confidence in our own ability, but trust in the grace of God to sustain us, to sustain our church, to sustain us as families, to sustain us as individual believers through this time. And that by God's grace, we may stand faithful until the end. May God bless these words to each of us. Amen.